Well, we've come this far. I guess it's only fair that we end this story in the adventure zone. How, Scotty, that, that, that's not how we start the, this mean? podcast. It's not, that's not what we're doing here. I mean, it is, but it's not. Wait, so what is this? It's fun fiction! Welcome to Fun Fiction, ladies and gentlemen, the show about movies, media, and how the internet ruins it. I am your host, Scotty Morin. Oh, I just I just drank some void fish ichor, and I just I remember this show. This show had a host once, and her name is Bruna Clark. What up, fam? I've been stuck inside the Umbra staff and just got released. <laughs> <laughs> I broke. Ah, oh, shit! I should have done that instead. Just like, <laughs> and then she appeared. <laughs> no, I like this idea that like Ty got sucked up in the Umbra staff, and you're like, "Did you do an episode of Fun Fiction with Scotty?" Y- yes. Where am I? I'm gonna fucking kill you now. <laughs> I suck up all the other hosts. I like this canon. Yeah, <laughs> this is my territory. That I don't really roam as much as I used to, but I still but do. But I'm still fucking here. <laughs> so I like to apologize in advance because I don't know how long this episode's gonna go because of the campaign I wrote. Oh Jesus! <laughs> like I've genuinely written like a normal fan fiction length amount of <laughs> exposition and then campaign in the middle of it. Oh but man! <laughs> th- that also led to me not doing notes for the show. Great. I forgot like until 10 minutes before this started like, oh wait, I probably need to know what I'm talking about for these two arcs. But luckily this is like the biggest, this is Griffin's biggest jump in storytelling that's ever happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, my heart, I I can't even... I was like, looking back on the synopsis, like, of all of the episodes in these um, arcs, and I was like, oh my god, how did I live through this? This is breaking my heart. Uh, my dude, guess what? I w- <laughs> I had to listen to this live as they came out, because oh this god. was when I first started listening, was during the end arcs. That's, that's terrible. I could not have lived mm-hmm. that way. I, well, I will say, I think it has, like, less of an effect when you don't listen to them back to back to back. Because that's what me and Emily did when I re-listened to the show. And you were a mess. And, oh, I was a garbage-ass mess. <laughs> I re- Is it bad I remember where I was when we listened to the season finale? Not at all. Yeah, because I was, like, I was driving to get some spicy hot chicken in Birmingham, <laughs> and that, and our tears are running down my face as, uh, as, uh, uh, he lifts up Angus, and he's like, we won! Oh, little Ango. God bless little Ango. <laughs> There's just so many, like, crucial emotional moments in these mm-hmm. two arcs, It. I don't know. Do you have a personal favorite emotional... Because mo- you know mine, and we're going <sighs> to talk about it, so... Fuck. I mean, there's... Uh, let me let me just look over my notes here. I was looking over some of the episodes, and I just remember how shook I was that they, they killed Johan, like... Oh, right? 
What? I didn't even write that down. I forgot. So much happens that I forgot about killing Johan. And then he, before he dies, he looks at Magnus and he's like, don't let them erase me, Magnus. And I'm like, uh. You're like, please. <laughs> oh my God, it's the worst. Fuck. And then probably when also uh, Taco loses it after he finally remembers his twin sister and he's just like you took her from me to lucretia and i'm like this is this is not acting anymore this is real yeah well not only that it's just like such a character arc for the goofy character who is taco to come back from all of the stolen century and you just hear one two three and he's just like counting down until he's gonna fuck her up oh my god oh wow okay that and, really just happened. I mean, in the beginning, you you would never expect that it would lead to something like this. Like, it was just a continual uphill climb, and it, it never, yeah. I don't know, it just, the emotion just went up and up and up and up and up, and then well, we all died. It was like, goofy boy, goofy boy, goofy boy, then Griffin took, like, a creative writing class or something, and it was like, <laughs> I'm about to fuck everybody up with this. And it fucking worked. Like, God bless Griffin McElroy. Actually, can I, uh, can I make a second? Also, it's, uh, I know this is not promoting our stuff, but it's Max Fun Drive. So it if you is! Wanna, if you want to support the, actually, no, by the time this comes out, I don't oh, think it'll be Max. I mean, it's not, but next year. <laughs> Come back and support these good Good, good brothers. Uh, but no, what I was going to say is God bless Justin McElroy for the greatest ad lib in the entire series, which is when he's talking to Barry and they're all forgetting things. Oh my God, stop, stop, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> Quick, Taco, you got to kill me. You got to kill me so I don't, I don't forget Loop. <gasps> <laughs> Who? No. <laughs> and then you just hear Clint off to the side like, "Oh, he just did that." <laughs> and all the cracklies behind it like, "Oh my god." Oh, it's such an emotion. That's one of those ce- there are two scenes that I love watching animatics for when I'm emotionally prepared to. One is that scene, and the other is my favorite scene in the entire series and we've already hinted at it. The fucking return of Loop! Oh my god, my favorite. (laughs) I can't believe it's taken us this long to be able to talk about her. I love... Well, firstly, (laughs) I can finally reveal what I had to tell you and I had to tell Emily when you guys were like, L-U-P? What's L-U-P? I don't understand that whole time. I'm just like biting my tongue like, oh, it's just a... It's a corporation that you guys don't Mm -hmm. know yet. It's just this big deal thing. No, I remember I was looking, I think, for fan art because I'm stupid and this was early on when I first started listening to it and I saw something about loop and sister and i was like what does this mean and then i was like should i say something to scotty or should i not and then i did and you're like no no it's not a person it's not a person (laughs) (laughs) it's not i swear to god it's not a person (laughs) and me being the dumbass i am i was like oh okay because why would you lie to me why why would you do that (laughs) (laughs) well not only that i just my favorite thing about her and i guess it's a I, I'm kind of happy they didn't make this canon, but it's the fact that Loop is short for Chalupa. I know. It took me forever just, to realize that, too. I was like, wait a second. 
I'm like, oh, that's good. That's really good. But yeah, just that entire scene is done so well of showing the pain of Loop and how how connected Loop is with her brother is what killed me with it. I'm just like, did you hurt my brother? No. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to fucking kill you now. Like, oh, it's so tight. The The narration where Griffin's like, of course, how could you forget Loop? And it was like that emptiness in your background that you could never quite place. It was Loop. And I was like, yeah, it was. You're like, shut up, Griffin, you piece of shit. I hate you. <laughs> I just remember when you recommended me this show and you were like, oh, there's there's two characters that are like me and you, but you won't get to meet them until like the end. And I was like, well okay and then i kept listening to it and listening to it and i was like when's it gonna happen wouldn't it be bad if i met the uh the fucking uh lich twins oh my god <laughs> if i met them instead of like no no that was us what are you talking about that would hurt my fucking feelings <laughs> you're, like, you're a piece of shit but uh no going back to another thing about loop and taco's relationship the perfect day episode like, right before she's going to become a lich, and she's just like, I just want one perfect day. <laughs> oh. Like, oh! And, like, Taco pulls out vodka at one point. I'm like, they know how to party. Okay. The, and then when she did turn into her lich form, and then she fucking dabbed? Yeah. <laughs> And that was that even made me cry because it's it was a symbol to him like I know who I am don't freak out I'm fine and it's just like yeah. okay well not only that like when she comes back from the umbrella the ultimate sign of oh no she's still her is instead of saying something like I'm back it's you're dating the Grim Reaper and then immediately cuts to like a commercial break and I'm like Griffin <laughs> no. <laughs> Speaking of dating, let's talk about my favorite ship, which is Lupin Berry Blue Jeans. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about the Star Blaster being no. your favorite ship. Oh, well, it's it's a, it's, wow, wow. It is a great ship. It's but a good ship. We're talking about my two favorite lovebirds that I can't get enough of. Like, why am I so attracted to Berry Blue Jeans? Someone please help me. I don't know. Hey. Hey, all of the internet, I'm not, uh, this is one time I'm going to be not on your side. I'm like, hey, everyone on the internet, he literally looks like, who's it he's supposed to look like? Oh, I fuck, uh, Tom. Tom Arnold. Yeah. Like, hey, everyone on the internet, he looks like Tom Arnold, who looks like a real life version of Hank Hill. You're all just getting into <laughs> Hank Hill right now. But here's the thing, though, when people, uh, before the graphic novels came out, when people would, um do fan art and design him he looks like griffin mcelroy like he does straight up he does and so that's probably why because the one in the graphic novel even though i'm so deep in now that i'm like okay i can party with the mullet i can i can do it yeah yeah. (laughs) can i just say um the return and we may have talked about this on the last episode the return of barry blue jeans Mm. is something that got spoiled for me that's awful because i was i worked at build a dino in orlando and i would always ask like what do you want to name your dinosaur and then i would give out names and i would always throw in barry blue jeans because it's a goofy name on its own but then if they recognized it i could be like oh you know taz we can fucking party right and then one day someone was just like how far are you in the series do you know about barry and i'm like yeah barry's just dead right and they're just like yeah 
totally, he's just gone. And I was like, damn it, he comes back. Yes. Why would they so, say that? So I, well, they didn't know how far I was. I guess they assumed I was just ca- caught up with everyone else. So uh, I, was I just guess. Like, when does Barry come back? What? I had no clue. So when I got to it, I almost shit my pants. I was like, yes, oh, dude. my denim the Jesus. S- <laughs> <laughs> no, the scene where uh, the scene where Clint first realizes it and just starts guffawing openly. He's like, you walk over to a trunk and pull out a pressed white T-shirt, a studded belt and a pair of the most luxurious blue denim blue jeans <laughs> is the moment I went. Yes, God, he's back. Just how resourceful that Griffin is, too. Like, you, the way that he comes back, and then the way that also Magnus comes back. Right. It, I don't know. Just his brain. I've talked about this before, but I just want to dissect him and see what's going on in there, because there's something unearthly in there. This is something I realized earlier, and it this is going to get into some like nerdy, weird game development talk. But like, if you're making a video game, you always in- want to introduce something to somebody in controlled conditions before giving it to them in like real battle conditions. Right. Like you always want to give it to where it'd be easy to jump over the thing, or you can run away before it attacks you, and you'll be f- safe. Um, that's I feel like Griffin did that a lot with this series, like with the pod that birthed New Magnus. It kind of gives you this idea of just like, oh, that's kind of weird that that exists in that universe. And Griffin's like, okay, we've all established this can happen. All right, Barry Blue Jeans is here in one of them. <laughs> exactly. And then uh, there was another one. It was the Lich Twins in oh, the right. previous. He's introducing that concept so we all understand like, oh, liches exist in this universe. So people can exist in this world. And if they go too long, they might turn out cre- crazy. And he's like, Barry Blue Jeans a fucking lich. It's like. Griffin, stop! I swear, he was playing the longest, like, mind game. Because all these things... I just don't know how you take all these seemingly random things and connect them to other things. Because you know when they started playing this and, like, they had Davenport being, like, a Pokemon butler. (laughs) Pokemon butler Davenport! You know that he wasn't sitting there thinking, well, the reason that he can only say Davenport is because he's so fucked up over losing Mm -hmm. his memories. And it's like, how do you do that, Griffin? Well, I feel like that was a happy coincidence. I feel like that was one where Griffin had it all planned out, and then it was like, oh, Davenport can be there. And then, and then, like, I feel like Griffin had the epiphany of, oh my God, he can't only say his name because that's all he remembers. Oh my God, that makes me. I'm just going to cry this whole time that we're recording this. So, <laughs> But um, another one of those that I'm like, how did Griffin know this so far back is when they first reached the Umbra staff. Oh, yeah. Griff- Griffin describes the skeleton, and he describes it basically le- very, like, uh, okay, that's clearly almost loop. And then, like, the umbrella refuses Clint, then goes to Taco. And I'm staring here like, how the fuck did you know? How did you know that far back that loop was going to be a thing, Griffin? How exactly. dare you? He's, something is up with him. He's an alien. I don't know what it is. I mean, I love him, and God bless Griffin McElroy, but, like, what are you? He is alien boy. He is an alien man. Uh, (laughs) I will say, my favorite thing about Stolen Century is, yes, it had some emotional-ass moments, like the perfect day, and then the forgetting the memories, Mm -hmm. but also, it was basically Griffin being like, 
I'm going to give y'all a shit ton of scenarios, and we're going to see how many goofs we can make before we destroy the audience's soul with the finale. I swear, the, the, those cycles, I think my favorite one was the, um, the animal plane with the power bear. Mm. Animal planet? Yeah. Yes. Um, with me, I've got two. And once again, I remember far too many of the places I was when I listened to these. I really enjoyed the, and I don't think it was a sports-based planet, but the <laughs> planet where I think it's Magnus takes over coaching like a little league oh, uh, yeah. sports team. And then he's just like, you're all losers. I'm from a different planet and I'm awesome. And if you go out there and fail, you're going to embarrass me. And that was his pep talk. Uh, I I listened to that while getting my oil changed. I don't know how I remember these things. And then um, the other one that was very good was the beach cycle. Oh, I love the beach cycle. Because it's featured my favorite prank show of all time, which is Magnus. (laughs) (laughs) Where you just sneak up behind people. And just scream at them constantly. And I'm like, okay, good on you. Honestly, that works pretty well. It happens to me a lot. Oh, really? You just walk up behind people and you're like, Brenna! Oh, no. Garen does that. (laughs) (laughs) Garen! It's awful. Mm -hmm. And uh, speaking of things that how the fuck did Griffin know from the beginning to pay this off? Can we just talk about the man wreathed in flames fucking Joaquin. Oh my god! Joaquin in the taco! (laughs) I audibly screamed, girl! I was in my car! It is just like, he was wreathed in flames, and he had a sign that said, like, whatever, taco truck. Oh my god. It just, it's like, Griffin does so much for the characters, I feel like, because... I mean, that from day one, they were like, we're going to get Taco to make a fucking taco. And then he do- he gives that to them. Yo, not only that, they say, I feel like whenever he actually gets all the ingredients to the taco, it'll be like whatever. It'll be like the ultimate uh, weapon that helps us defeat the enemy. And I'm exactly. like, oh, shit. I just, oh, God also, bless. That's all I can he say. He sets you up. He sets you up for the perfect surprise because, like, the first three arcs, they play in the taco space a little bit of, like, oh, yeah, I guess I'll give you sour cream. Yeah. And then they forget about it for a very long time, and then Griffin's, like, taco truck, and I went, yes! He's such a good brother, I swear to God. He's such a smart man. It scares me because then I see him on other shows where he's just the dumbest man and he's crunching on a banana. You know, it, it. I saw a gif of that and I was like, this is cursed. And I, clo- <laughs> <laughs> I closed out the Twitter app. No, I, I like, I went to a PodCon, which, oh shit, I guess we should talk about that because I walked beside Griffin McElroy and my body froze. Oh my god, I would have passed out. Like, all I heard was, yeah, thanks, man, that's a good one. And then he walks by me, and then starts going, he's alone? No one's talking to him? He's going up an escalator, and my body is unable to follow him. I'm just like, that's the Griff boy. It's Griff man. If it was Travis, I would have, like, ran behind him. Oh, (laughs) Um, and vomited profusely. Well, yeah, that goes without saying. I would have trailed vomit like a slug, but I, st- <laughs> I, I still would have caught up to him. 
I felt okay. No, you're gonna get mad because I did pass Travis too. It's okay. I mean, and when I, but the thing with Travis is, I feel like I'd much more, and we've talked about this. I'd more will, be willing to run up to Travis than Griffin. Yeah, but Tra- Travis was rushing somewhere. He had BB next to him, so I oh. also got to see a baby McElroy, which made me happy. I've never. I don't know what they look like. Oh wait, well that's actually on purpose, I believe. I know, I think but I, I was listening to trends like these, and Travis was like, "Yeah, I don't put pictures of my baby because, like, I don't. I she she needs to give her approval." And I'm like, "Oh, that's really smart. I'm still gonna put pictures of my baby when exactly, she comes out everywhere, yeah. but still." <laughs> but um, what I was saying about PodCon, I've already forgotten. Damn Oops. it! What was I'm I gonna sorry. say? What was I gonna say, Brenna? I don't know. You saw Griff Boy. That's all. Maybe it'll what? come back to you. Hold on. I met Clint, and he was a good, oh, good... I forgot about that. Oh, yeah. I met Clint, and uh, he immediately went dad mode on me. Oh, dad. Because, because this was when I had, like, a really janky, broken iPhone with, like, the screen cracked. And so I made the joke, like, careful, don't cut yourself on the glass. He takes it back, and he's like, well, you need to get you a new phone. This isn't safe. Oh, daddy. What's wrong? I'm like, daddy, thank you, daddy. <laughs> I could have died when he was there at the Mabim Bam Live show. I was so hoping he would be, and I was like, oh my god, there's my dad! (laughs) It's my dad! That's my dad! That's my daddy! So anyways, Brenna, what's your favorite part of these arcs? Well, okay, I guess one thing that I do want to touch on is that sometimes... When you're listening, you forget that Magnus is human, but by God, does Griffin remind you when he plays out his death scene? Oh, yeah. It's so bad. It's the worst thing on the planet. And especially when Magnus is your favorite character like me, like all of his unaging friends by his bedside, and then when he does pass, he sees Julia again. (laughs) And the worst part, and someone brought this up on, like, a video I saw online, is they were just like, um, well, the worst part is the fact that when uh, Kravitz delivers him, he goes, take all the time you need. Oh, Meaning kill me. that he's, he's not permanently there. He's just there for as long as he needs. It's like, Kravitz, no! But he could need it for the rest of his t- existence. Oh, existence. Thank you. I was going to say life, but... But the also the thing that makes me really happy is that even though that was so close to the end and he could have end, ended with that, he decided instead to focus of focusing on death, he focused on life with Carrion and Carrion, Carrie and Killian's wedding. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then because uh, this is also this is something that I did at the end of my trilogy is he made it clear that like this story may be over but more stories will continue more stories will exist from this universe like with the void fish going away and i was like oh that's so good griffin why i uh, i don't he's a genius i remember what i was gonna say about podcast thank god i did the thing and it did it (laughs) and it involves the crunching banana oh the banana that's what it was. Um, no, Griffin held like a seminar during the PodCon opening ceremonies teaching four people to count a crunch a banana. What? It was horrifying. One of them was like, I think one of them was Riley Smurl, which is like Griffin's stepsister. 
or sister-in-law, like a bunch of different people. Demi from Punch Up the Jam, which is my new favorite podcast. They're just all up there crunching on bananas. And Griffin's like, you guys excited about this? Are you happy? I did it once. I did it once and they're making me do it again. I can't. I mean, I want to try it, but... Don't. Brenna, don't do this. You don't want to crunch a banana. I do. Do you have bananas there? Could we do a live crunch on air? I fucking wish, but no. (laughs) Okay. Well, you know what I wish? What do you wish? I'd want everybody out there to go to patreon.com slash a load of BS... And donate some cashola if you could. You get access to our exclusive Discord. You get shouted out on the show of your choice every single week like the Patreon saint of fun fiction, Joe Gennaro, ladies and gentlemen. And you get access to our new show that me and Blake Tanner are doing called You Paid for This. It's a Patreon (laughs) exclusive. It's a guided meditation of sorts where we watch a terrible film and then commentate over it and help you get through a bad, bad experience. We just did the Dan Aykroyd killing film, Nothing But Trouble. So if you'd like nothing but a better time than watching that film, donate at patreon.com slash a load of BS. Now, Brenna. Yes, Scotty. We've we've talked about the show. We've gushed about it. We've threatened Griffin McElroy. (laughs) But what have you brought to the table for fan fiction? Because I'm going to be honest, the campaign is so long that I'm, I just didn't even bother bringing something. Well, that is perfectly fine. Um, t- today, I have brought for you something called Something Old, Something New by Goldfish of Love, who is actually one of my friends on Twitter. And they shared their Lupin um, Berry fix, and they're my favorite ever. So, yeah. Aww. All right. So, here we go. If I can find the top of it. The dull roar of street traffic drifted through the balcony screens of Kravitz and Taco's Neverwinter flat. The space inside was luxuriously broad and decorated in a precarious blend of functional minimalism and haphazard flamboyance. Magical artifacts were crammed onto square black bookshelves and a few luscious prints interrupted otherwise bare white walls. The flat was half a world away from the couch Barry had woken up on, but... In the two years since the day of story and song, they had all but forgotten what it was like for that to matter. Taco looked up reflexively at the familiar sound of a rip in the planar boundary, followed, less usually, by a knock on the door. It's open, Taco called, gesturing a spell that slid the lock open with a click. Loop would have opened the portal into the living room, but Barry was a little old-fashioned. He let himself in, then closed the door promptly on the curious nose of an orange tabby. Took you long enough, Taco accused breezily. Oh, you know, traffic, Perry deadpanned. He bent to greet the cat. Remind me which one this is? The one that comes up to you is always Coriander, Taco reminded him. Cinnamon's probably under the couch. Hi, Cory. The cat sniffed Barry's proffered knuckle, head-butted him once, and then wandered away. Barry rolled up his sleeves as he straightened. Okay, where do you want me? Taco eyed him. At the sink, washing up, and then I've got some onions here that aren't in enough pieces. Barry rinsed the cat hair off his hands and went to work. They caught each other up as they cooked. Taco started out bragging about the progress of the amazing school of magic, but quickly got sidetracked onto the gossip about Lord Sterling he'd picked up from backstage before a recent interview. Barry related the story of a particularly lucrative bounty, the weeks of planning that had gone into the ambush and eventual capture. 
So this ritual she's been preparing for for years basically blows up in her face. And instead of a demon, there's three of us. She must have been fucking terrified, Taka remarked. Here, open this. Oh, yeah. Barry took the bottle of wine, opened a door for a corkscrew, and bumped it closed again with a sieve. She did a decent job of not showing it, which I respect, but Loop and I had her minions down before Crab was even finished reading the charges. It was over, and she knew it. Hell yeah. Taco turned the heat off under a saucepan and smoothly pulled two wine glasses down from the cupboard in one hand. Barry poured, and after a cursory clink, Taco paused and held his glass. To success. Cheers. Yours too. Well, I meant mine, obviously. Taco drank. Barry laughed and followed suit. When their bellies were full and their plates were empty, they took the bottle out onto the balcony. It was just about sunset as they settled into folding chairs and Taco stretched his legs out to prop them on the railing. Can I ask you a personal question? He asked nonchalantly. History suggests that you can, yes. Barry took a sip of his wine. You ever going to pop the question to my sister? Barry choked. He set his glass down heavily as he coughed and sputtered. Couldn't resist, Taco said. You understand. I'd have expected no less, Barry replied weakly. He dabbed at his sweater with a napkin. Serious question, though. Barry huffed out a long breath. I... Jeez, Taco, I don't know. Eventually? He gazed out over the darkening city brow furrowed. Taco raised an eyebrow. That's a funny way to put it after six, 60 years, isn't it? 67, Barry corrected automatically. Taco rolled his eyes. Of which she wasn't exactly swimming in choices for 50 and change, and then she spent 10 years... Barry trailed off. Taco was no more interested in talking about that than Barry was, and then you were right back together again when she got back. Yeah, but it's not really the same thing now, is it? Why not? Barry glanced over at him. Are you kidding? Nothing's the same now. He looked back out at the murmuring city. We've got so much time on this world. We, we don't have to pick and choose anymore. We can just go everywhere, see everything, get to know someone without thinking about how they're going to die in a few months, or even if they don't, you'll never see them again. Barry emptied his glass and set it on the table, then folded his arms across his chest. With all of that waiting out there, Taco, how could I ask her to stay put now? For the first time in a hundred and whatever years, she doesn't have to. She can go anywhere. She can have anyone, anything that she wants. They passed several seconds in silence before Taco snorted. You're damn right she can. Barry frowned. Taco pursed his lips. Listen, he said, Loop is a brilliant, powerful, gorgeous Natch. He gestured at himself. Magic as fuck. And, oh right, one of the seven fucking saviors of the universe. Yeah, obviously she can have whoever she wants. And you better believe she knows that. He watched Barry, waiting for the pin to drop, but the man just looked resigned. Taco gave an exasperated sigh. And she wakes up every morning next to you, doofus. Barry blinked. What, do you think you tricked her somehow? Taco asked. Fat chance, you pulling one over on old Loop. You you think she's not sure what she wants from you after a hundred years? She's seen a lot already, my man. Way, wor- way more than you and almost as much as me. She knows what's out there, maybe not in every single corner of this world, but a hell of a lot of places that could just as well have been. Which, I'm not saying there's nothing cool in all that. You remember a couple months ago when she ran off to spar with the fire salamanders on that volcano. Barry groaned and nodded. She'd gotten back a week later, scorched, exhausted, and cackling with glee. But that's the point. She can just go do that because, oh yeah, she can literally tear holes in the fabric fabric of space. So I don't know what you're imagining and just stopping her from walking away if she wanted to. Taco took a deep swig of wine. 
Speaking as the one person in existence who knows her better than you do, he said, if that woman felt trapped, she'd be outski. Nothing but an elf-shaped dust cloud. Luke does not settle, and she especially doesn't settle for settling down. Barry stared toward the horizon. Why's that? he asked cautiously. Taco emptied his glass, picked up the bottle, realized it was empty too, and set it down again. Why's what? Especially not settling down. Oh, just because... Taco gestured vaguely. We spent all that time moving around, you know, even before IPRE. Moving around is easy, Barry. You just keep walking and don't look back. Now staying, staying is hard. If you're going to go back to the same place every day when you could go anywhere in the world, there's got to be something really fucking worth going back for. Something better than anything else you could be doing. Anything the universe might have in store for you. What? Barry was giving him a funny look. He glanced over his shoulder through the balcony windows. One of the cats was nosing around the closed screen door. A different one must be Cinnamon. A few pairs of Taco's shoes were strewn about the coffee table. His hat was perched delicately on top of a floor lamp. Taco followed Barry's gaze through the open wall into the kitchen. It was still a mess from dinner, but the dirty pans were high quality, selected carefully over the months since Taco had moved in. Personal touches dotted the tidy walls and shelves, an apron with a cheeky slogan, a carved wooden duck. As an early autumn breeze brought a chill to the balcony, the inside of the flat looked comfortable and warm. Barry looked back at Taco. Something really fucking worth staying for, huh? He smiled. To be continued, because there's more, but I'm not going to read it. Oh, that's so sweet! <laughs> Isn't it? It makes my heart all warm and fuzzy. Sounds like my babies. Makes me cry a little. Well, it got a, it got in both of our OTPs because for did. you, you got you got Barry and Luke, but for me, I got my Kravitz taco fix, and that was not on accident. So you're yeah. welcome. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. That was very, very good, Brenda. But you know what else isn't an accident? What is? What else is not an accident? It's not, an, it, it's not an accident that I still have awesome merch featuring me and Brenna online at merch.aloadofpurebs.com. Ladies and gentlemen, that's right. That's where you can get all your fun fiction merch. Merch for all your favorite Load of BS programs, whether that be a Load of BS, whether it be uh, Fight Boys, Opposite Attractions, they've all got merch at merch.aloadofpurebs.com. That was nice. I liked it. So, Brenna Clark, it's totally not two weeks after we recorded the first part of this episode. Yeah, because that would be totally weird. We definitely didn't have an earth-shattering crash in Microsoft Word that got rid of my entire campaign. Honestly, I don't know why you say we, because that was totally on you, my dude. You were with me, though. It was a... It was a collective... A shared experience. A shared experience. (laughs) But I I rewrote it to the best of my ability. I put in just about as much. I think it ended up being slightly shorter, though, so I think that's good. Cool. Um, And I did want to try to get... Every every Taz fic, I try to get the vibe of the arcs. And the vibe of the final arcs really are Griffin monologuing (laughs) for a very long time, and then they do, like, a small thing, and then Griffin monologues some more, and then they do another small thing. So I feel like I captured that with today's fic. 
Oh, good. So I get to listen to you and not make a fool out of myself. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. But I will ask, you do have your D20s and D8s and D6s and all that prepared, right? I've got all kinds of Ds, my dude. Oh. (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. Ds what? What? Ds what? Ds what? Ds what? (laughs) You're supposed supposed to say Ds nuts, Brenna. Oh. I'm not set. I'm not. I'm 27, Scotty. What do you want from me? <laughs> I'm a grown ass adult. I'm not going to tease nuts our audience. Okay. <clears throat> then let's start with the beginning. Okay. Sydney Rosenthorn, you awake on a day like any other. You step out of bed and begin to get dressed, analytically smelling each piece of clothing on your floor to determine if it could sustain another day of wear without washing. You finally decide on a fairly light outfit and put on your boots, strapping your crossbow to your back before heading to the stairwell that leads down to the bar that you've almost made your own over so many months of working there. Regulars knew you and loved you. The boss was almost always out of town, so you were essentially the owner of the Goldcliff Tavern. As you take one step down the stairs, however, you hear a bone-shattering cry come from outside, followed by another and another. You rush outside to discover all of the Goldcliff's inhabitants screaming to the heavens in horror as they attempt to fight off an unknown assailant. You try to rush back in when suddenly the entire tavern collapses under the might of some unknown horror. Your face drops in terror as you seek out refuge underneath a few collapsed beams of the tavern when you see it. Flying through the skies, dual streams of green and blue light rushing throughout the town, slamming through the skulls of each inhabitant of Goldcliff. You try to run when you're suddenly thrown to the ground by that unknown assailant. And every time you try to stand, you feel pressure against your chest, shoving you to the ground when suddenly... That green beam of light rushes into your skull, and the light grows brighter and brighter, and suddenly, Sydney, you learn the most beautifully impossible story. You see multiple universes, thousands of people, all coming together. You see people that you forgot existed. You see Angus MacDonald, the greatest boy detective the world had ever known. You see the three men that saved you from the bank heist, Magnus, Merle, and Taco. You see Magic Brian, the man that killed your parents. You see his face, but before any rage could build up inside of you, you see your parents. Your parents working tirelessly into the night as two suns set in the distance. You see your father comforting your mother as another one of their blueprints fail. And finally, you see your parents standing in front of their greatest creation. A ship meant to travel through interdimensional planes with the use of the light of creation. A ship known as the Star Blaster. You also see your parents being rejected for the mission that would carry the IPRE and their creation throughout the planar system. Your parents were too valuable on their home planet. Their abilities to combine the arts of magic and science were unparalleled, and they refused to let them go on such a dangerous mission. And this is the part of the story where you learn where you got your stubbornness from, Sydney, as you see your father searching through all of his magic tomes to learn a spell that would become synonymous with your family name, Polymorph. 
your parents knew there was a chance that they wouldn't come back from that mission, but they also knew that if they weren't there, no one would come back from that mission. No one knew the Star Blaster like they did. No one knew its intricacies and details and how to repair it in a pinch. And so your parents, the silent heroes of the stolen century, stashed away on that ship disguised as two small mice. And with each cycle, they returned to those forms. But in between, they were heroes, Cindy. They'd repair the ship if need be. They'd fly it away from the hunger when no one else could. They rescued the light when no one else was there. Eventually, your parents landed in the plane that you know is your home. And they did as they always did. Walked a few miles from the ship, started up a small farm to feed themselves, and stashed their IPRE gear away in a small box until they needed to return to the ship for whatever reason. But then, one day... They woke up, and they didn't know where the Star Blaster was because they didn't know what the Star Blaster was. Years of their work disappearing from their minds in small shreds at a time until they were ignorant, left alone as the parents that you now knew and loved. They never knew that they were heroes. They never knew just how many planes they had saved. They never knew about the hunger. But you too, Sydney. And speaking of the hunger, as that green light fades from your eyes, you can suddenly see an infinite blackness stretching from the sky and pinning you to the ground. You look around the city of Goldcliff and you see the rest of the citizens all dealing with that same horrifying darkness that seemed to stretch farther and farther into the sky. And you are terrified. When suddenly, that terror disappears. The blue light washes over you, Sydney, and you feel strong. You feel that same brave arrogance that your parents had in the face of what many called a suicide mission. You feel hot. I mean, really hot. Your eyes are glowing a bright crimson red as from within your body you cast flaming sphere and a massive globe of fire extends to the world around you, burning up that tendril of darkness and sending it reeling back into the sky. You pop back to your feet to rush in to save the rest of Goldcliff, but that didn't seem to be necessary, Sydney. Because each and every member of that town was coming together on that day to fight against the hunger. You see, there's magic in a bard song. They call it inspiration, and it tells the listener what they need to hear right when they need to hear it. You spent your entire life feeling alone, orphaned at a young age, nothing special about you, but the truth has always been that you are a Rosenthorn. And Rosenthorns save the world. You grab your crossbow off of your back and ignite an arrow before sending it flying into a large pillar of the hunger as you hear a voice cry out across the heavens. You're going to have to fight. And you're gonna win. As you continue this battle, Sydney, something keeps coming back to you. One moment crystallized in your memory from your parents' hundred-year mission. And it's your mother's IPRE gear stashed away in a box 
in a place that you know all too well, the closet in your parents' bedroom. So what do you do? Well, I isn't isn't that like destroyed though? The homestead was on the outskirts of Fandolin. Oh, it was. Yes. Well, fuck, let's go get it. Okay, so well, Fandolin is very very far away unfortunately. Oh. Um Okay, shit. But if you've got your character sheet I've made for you up, I did give you a a spell that may help you get to Fandolin a little bit quicker. Might is it Oh, wait a second. <laughs> wait a second. I think she's found it. Can, <laughs> is it Phantom Steed? Yes, it is. Let's conjure that motherfucker. Okay, so as you hold your wand to the sky to cast Phantom Steed, without even focusing, you suddenly see... A beautiful rainbow beam shoot from your wand, shooting into the heavens. It actually cleaves a pillar of darkness in twain. And then suddenly that rainbow arc back down and it falls into the ground next to you. And then as you look up to the heavens, you can hear Erasure playing as a beautiful binocord (laughs) with a rainbow mullet that he is making work gallops down that rainbow. It suddenly comes to a stop next to you. Fuck yes. Yo, what up? I heard, I heard a little missy needed to ride out to uh to the to the burnt town. To the burnt town we go. All right, let's do this, and then we get some oats. And then <laughs> suddenly, from underneath Gerald's feet, a rainbow ridge appears into the oh sky. Oh my god. You are now basically Thor riding this yes. rainbow bridge into Fandolin. And uh, Geralt, Geralt gets off of the rainbow and he's just like, All right, little lady. That was about all Geralt's time. I think that guy down there is going to need my help in a few minutes, so I got to go. And then he just kind of disappears. And- I could... Best ever. (laughs) And so now you look out at the wasteland of Phandalin and you see the black glass that the city had become after the incident with the Fire Fist gauntlet. You see numerous magical battles going on with the hunger and also what appeared to be a massive elevator with arms and legs. You're not really sure what that's about, but it's down there. And then at the edge of that black glass, you think for a moment that it's... The wizard Taco. Taco from TV, but he seemed different. He seemed powerful. He seemed omnipresent. And as he outstretched his arm and placed it against that black glass once again, you're tossed back against a nearby tree as a beam of white light stretches to the heavens. And Sydney, as you look back down at that black glass, you see Fandolin. You see beautiful spectral white forms of buildings that you once knew rising from the ground as spirits fly out and circle the entire city protecting it from the hunger. You see the theater. You see the school. You see Phantolin, your home, returning back before your very eyes. And as you look down, you see one more casualty of that day so many months back. It's your wand. You realize that this tree, this spot, 
This is where you swore off magic, but not anymore. As the broken bits of wand slowly float towards you in that same beautiful spectral energy repairing itself, and as you grab it, you feel that same power that Taco must have possessed flowing through your veins. And then you are suddenly tossed to the ground. Yeah, of course. And as you look up, you see a tendril of the hunger poised, ready to destroy you. You try to cast a spell with your wand, but it's too late. It rushes towards you when suddenly it's cleft in twain. You look up to discover a man with a large battle axe fighting back against the tendril, protecting you from its evil. You slowly make your way to your feet to discover... Garrett, your old friend from school. What do you do? Stand the fuck up and fight with him. Oh no, you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> he's yeah, he's already oh, like fighting back against it. Like, don't worry, I've got him. <laughs> Let's hug this motherfucker if we've got time for that. All right, so you rush towards Garen and embrace him in this amazing hug, and then he pulls away and looks into your eyes and says, "Well, hey kid, how you doing?" I'm not, I'm not sure why I'm talking like a grown-up. <laughs> exactly. What's up with that? I, I don't know. It's just ever since I've been out here working in Fandolin, it's it's done a lot to my body. I, I now have the body of a 50-year-old man, I guess. That's unfortunate. And honestly, all joking aside, I'm really sorry that I didn't come back to help you sooner. Yeah, uh, that, that wasn't the best, but, yeah. you know, ever since we've kind of formed our own little, well, I guess it's a resistance now down here. Uh, it's us, a couple of kids from school. I, I, I don't know. I guess I should apologize, actually, because we did kind of take up residence in your old home, so I hope that's cool. I mean... <laughs> I get it. So, Garen leads you to the uh, to his base, essentially, the base of the resistance against the hunger. They were originally uh, just back trying to repair Fandolin back to its old form, but of course, as you can see, that's not exactly going well. Uh, so he leads you to your child at home, the Rosenthorn Homestead, and as you walk in, you notice that it doesn't seem to be exactly full of adults. This seems more like uh, kids that you went to school with, people you remember walking through the halls, some of them uh, enemies, some of them friends. But then they throw something at your feet. And as you look down, you see this massive chest, a chest you had never really noticed before because, to be honest, you couldn't have looked at it. Because up until this day, you would have never been able to see the logo inscribed across the top. The logo of the IPRE. And as you look inside, you see multiple souvenirs from your parents' voyage throughout the stolen century. You see their wands. You see various bits and bobs from different universes, different planes they had gone to. And most importantly, you see your mother's IPRE uniform, which unlike the robes and the jackets that we had known before, this was actually pretty badass. It's made of red dragon skin, and instead of a small insignia on its breast, there is a massive IPR logo emblazoned across the back. Hell yeah. 
And so you take out the vest and you put it on, which uh, also, if you look on your character sheet, I did give you a dragon scale, I guess, vest. Just kind of like chainmail. So you do have added armor class thanks to that. Fuck yeah. And so after that, Garen's taking you around to try to introduce you to all of the people, reintroduce you to some of your old classmates. When suddenly, a massive black spike shoots through the roof of the building. It starts to crumble around you, and as you all rush outside, you notice an army that the hunger has sent to destroy you. And various classmates of yours shoot off into different directions to fight. But then you look forward, and you see the source of that spike that had just pierced your home. But the thing is, it's not a spike at all. It's a leg belonging to a massive black spider shooting across the sky. And from underneath him, the hunger forms a few other bodies you may be familiar with. That of Magic Brian and his wife. So they stare at you, or at least the version of them that the hunger seemed to conjure up are staring at you. You are face to face with your parents' killers. For the first time, what do you do? Fight like hell. Oh, okay. I I thought we were going to have like a fun, like, riff off kind of thing between us, you know, (laughs) but it's okay. It's okay. You know, you kill my wife, I kill your parents. It's all right. Tit for tat. Yeah, okay. Well, I I guess we're going to skip the pleasantries and fun villain banter. Uh, It's now time to roll for for, for the thing. Yeah. Roll for go. (laughs) Roll for go. Uh, 17. All right. Well, you automatically beat Brian because he got like a six. Cool. Uh, Magic Brian, not Spider Brian. And um, you said you had a... A 17. 17. Okay, well, unfortunately, uh, Lady Brian also rolled a 17. So I'll I'll give you advantage, though. (laughs) Okay. All right. And finally, Brian with a Y got a... A two. Okay. Awesome. The, The villains team is doing amazing so far. So, uh, Brenna, I will give you the floor for battle. Let's do burning hands. All right. Who are you going to be attacking with them burning hands of yours? Uh, I'm going to say um, Magic Brian's wife because she's directly after me. So. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> like, I'm going to kill you again. Or try to. All right, what does burning hands do? Uh, as you hold your hands with thumbs touching and fingers spread, a thin sheet of flames shoots forth from your outstretched fingertips. Each creature in a 15-foot cone must make a dexterity, dexterity saving throw. A creature takes 3d6 fire damage on a failed save or half as much da- damage on a successful save. All right, dexterity saving throw. I totally know what that is. Uh, oh, well, I guess it doesn't matter because she got a critical fail. Hell this yeah. It's the worst. <laughs> okay, so wait a minute. That means it doubles too, doesn't it? Does it? I mean, I wouldn't mind if it was. Oh, God. Okay, well, I, 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 I'm going to say it doubles then. <laughs> Fuck. Um, so how much damage? 3d6. So. <laughs> One. Okay, doing good so far. Five. All right. And a two. So eight times two, that is 16. Oh my god, why? 
So she's not feeling too good right now, B. Thanks for that. You're welcome. Okay, so she uh, she steps back after that vicious burning hands attack, and she's like, "Whew, that uh, that did not feel feel too good." Uh, but you know something? I, I think I have something that may hurt you a little bit more. It's something that my husband taught me. Great. How's a little bit of magic missile? Yeah. All right. And uh, I actually I chose this one because there's no rolling involved, so we don't have to pretend like we know this game. Cool. Um. And I think with her three magic missiles, two of them are going for Garen. Great. And one's coming straight for your face. So that's one d four plus one, I believe. All right. And that is a three plus one. That's four points of damage for you. Eight points of damage straight to Karen's face. And then she's just like, yeah, take that, bitch. Eat my magic missile. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> Name calling now. That's cool. All right. So up next is Garen, who I think I think he thinks you've got the Brian, the Brian couple handled. So he is instead going to go after the giant spider, Brian with a Y, and he is going to use his multi-attack, which gives him, I believe, two Two attacks with his scimitar, one attack with his dagger. Damn. Yeah, boy, got strength. And he rolls a 13 against the spider's armor class, which I guess is just how strong that boy's skin is. And it does not beat the spider, Garen. No! Okay, so here's what happens. I think Garen has his scimitar, like, held over his head. It's like Naruto running towards the spider, leaps in the air, and as he does, the spider just kind of pimp smacks him out of the way with one of its big spider legs. Impressive. Yeah, so that's just his deal, I guess. I just He just kind of yeeted Garen out of the air. And I'm going to say he lands near Magic Brian, who is up next, and Magic Brian's going to take I guess his stick, his spider stick, and just kind of bop Garen on the head with it like a nun in a movie. Oh my god. And Magic Brian rolls a six. Okay, great. So apparently my dice are just terrible tonight. I love your dice. They're my favorite. (laughs) Yeah, good point. Okay, so finally we now have the big giant spider. I'm going to assume basically Garen saw the the whack from the stick coming and just kind of rolled out of the way and finds himself in front of the spider. And the big spot. Wait a minute. Oh my god. Oh shit! Oh shit, he can actually... He could just full-on Spider-Man and, like, web him up. We have been down this webbing road, and I don't like it. So, uh, <laughs> I guess the giant spider is now pissed at Garen for trying to attack him with a scimitar. It is just gonna shoot some web at him. Fine. Alright, and now it's... Alright, let's see how... Let's see how giant spider rolls it. Damn it! <laughs> My dice are the worst! Yes. That's that's my second critical fail. Okay. So I, I like to think what happens now is that the spider's aim was just off, and instead of hitting Garen, it just ricochets off a rock and hits Magic Brian's wife. <laughs> and she's just like, Oh, Jesus Christ, what are you doing? Oh, God! And she's now, like, webbed up against a rock nearby. And, oh god, I forgot about the damage. I have to roll for damage. Yeah, you fucking do. No, I, I don't want her to die this soon, though. I so do. She's on my shit list. 
All right, three plus five, that's eight. Oh, God. This woman ain't doing too well, (laughs) y'all. Yeah, she's like leaning up against the rock, her arms pinned to it, just like, no, avenge me, Brian. I'm going to die, please. And uh, that actually loops back around, so it's back to you. Okay, well, so is she like covered in spiderweb? She is restrained and held against the rock. On her next turn, she's going to have to make a strength save to try to break out of it. Okay, well, um, I really wish I could set her on fire. That would be cool. Wait! (laughs) Ooh! uh, Yes, let's see. I do want to cast um, Scorching Ray. Oh my god, Brenna! She's like tied up to a rock, can't defend herself. Why would you do this to this poor woman? Because I'm vindictive. Okay, well, uh, yeah, I guess fair point. She did kidnap Garen, so... (laughs) I built up this whole thing to be like, finally, she can get closure and defeat the man who killed her parents. Meanwhile, you're just like, no, y'all took my man! I'm gonna get your ass! (laughs) We'll get there. We'll get there. Okay, so Scorching Ray, you make three rays of fire that you can aim at anyone within range, and you can aim at one target or several. Yeah. So can I maybe two at her and then one at the spider? At the spider? Yeah. Uh, Okay, Uh, well... Uh, fun fact, Britta, I'm keeping up with her health, and uh, I do not think you do not need that oh, second well, bolt of fire. So, I mean, what if I roll a one and a one, though, with my d6? Okay, yeah. You know, just in case. Look, just do that overkill bullshit. Let's fucking do this, okay? I fucking will. All right, so, uh, that's going to be a 16. Uh, okay, well, <laughs> all right, everybody, that's it for me. <laughs> Hope the rest of you enjoys the episode. That's it for old Brian's Fife. All right, that's for bolt number one. Would you like to roll and just see how much damage you're doing to this poor tied-up woman? I would love to. So, um, a three. And she's dead. That's it. Cool. <laughs> so she, like, waves, like, goodbye, everybody. And then Brian's like, you killed my wife? Again. <laughs> <laughs> you, are, <laughs> you haven't even touched me yet. This is... This is basically torturing me. Yes, sir. Clutch. Okay, so since you've uh, since that first bolt killed her, I'm gonna say you can now use both bolts, either one for Magic Brian and one for the Black Spider, or no, we want Brian with a Y first. Oh, okay, cool. You're just you are saving the best for last, I guessed. So again with the D twenty. Uh, yes, I guess so. Um, Jesus. <laughs> Is that how it works? Okay. 18. Okay, great. So you just want to roll the other one right now? It just... <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, that one is a three, actually, so... Okay, cool. So I guess the spider dodges one, and as he rolls, he immediately gets smacked in the face with the other one. So a six, and then a six again. 
Oh my God, Brenna! <laughs> I'm rocking this, dude. I don't even know. All right, so I think Garen's going to try again for that multi-attack because it, it worked for him so well last time. Right. So he rolls a... Oh, 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 wait a minute. I, I think Garen actually does something useful. Thank God. He dies! <laughs> he made it! All right, so with the scimitars, first attack is a four, and then the next one's a two, so that's six, and... Oh, wait a minute. Oh, damn it. Apparently you get, like, 1d6 plus three? Shit. Shit, Garen's gonna kill this thing! Yeah. Okay, so here's the... Here's the... Here's the T. Here's the T. Here's what happens. Garen rushes the giant spider, scimitars one of its legs. It's now, like, hobbling, trying its best to stay up. Then Garen scimitars the other leg, runs towards it, Kick flips off of its head and then digs its his dagger into the side and you like like a pirate in a movie going down the sail yes. he just drags his dagger through the body of the spider as he loops down to the ground and now and now it's just Magic Brian I guess who's like well I guess I'd be lying if I said that wasn't pretty dope. <laughs> So, what, we gonna call this one off, or... I don't fucking think so. Okay, fine. And then, uh, then I almost went full Magic Brian in my description. Uh, he then looks towards Garen and holds out a finger as he casts Suggestion. No! Yes, he does, and I'm about to look up what Suggestion does. No! Because... Oh. Okay, Suggestion. Uh, let's see. You suggest a course of activity limited to a sentence or two and magically influence a creature you can see within range that can hear and understand you. And as for Magic Brian, I believe he has just one, uh, one course of activity. It's not even a sentence. And that is kill her. All right. Wait a minute. Is there a fucking throw to save this? There better be. Okay, yeah. Wisdom saving throw. Let's see. On a failed save, it pursues the course of action you describe to the best of its ability. The suggestion could continue for the entire duration. So let's roll. (laughs) Bet this is the first time you hated my dice tonight. No. And oh, that's a seven. Yeah! And with that, Magic Brian now has complete control over Garen, who turns to you with a look of murder in his eyes. Crap, crap, crap. And up next is you, Miss Sydney. So what do you do? Okay. Um, I don't, I need a way to... <laughs> to stop. To stop him. To stop. You're just like flailing your arms like, stop, I don't want it. I want something. Damn it, why'd I kill that spider? I could have used some some webbing right about now. Um, ooh, can I? No. Yeah. Uh, okay. Can I cast um, Minor Illusion and make like a uh kind of like an astral projection of myself and maybe confuse him (laughs) okay okay so i love this because i like what it implies (laughs) okay so here's what happens i I don't think you just cast minor illusion i think 
to put a little stank on it, uh-huh. what you do is you run behind a tree and <laughs> come out as two. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Okay. Um. So. Uh, okay, here's how we're going to do it. Brenna, I want you to pick a side of a coin. So pick, like, heads or tails. Okay. And whichever side you pick is the true you. Okay. Uh, okay, so do you have your side of a coin? Yes. All right, and was it heads? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, no! Oh, he he coming for you. He coming for you, Brenna. Damn it. But luckily, he only rolled an eight for his attack against you, which I know doesn't beat your AC. So what I like to think happens, and I'm fairly sure this isn't possible, but we're not playing by the rules. You grab your astral projection and throw it in front of yourself. He slashes through that instead. And then I guess to be fair, I'm gonna let him make a uh, make him let him make a wisdom saving throw to see if he can get out of the spell. Okay. And that's a 15. Homeboy save. Dear Jesus. And here's the story I like to think happened. He slashes through your body, and then once he realizes that he didn't do it, he looks up at you, and he has this moment where he's like. You are one of my best friends. We've been through hell together. We've lost family. We've lost stuff together. I can't believe I'm doing this. And just the power of friendship and the power of love brings him back. Brings him back from the suggestion. And he's like looking down at his hands like, I I can fight it. I can defeat it. And then he pulls out a fucking dagger and throws it at Brian. Yes. And that is a... (laughs) Yes, it's a fucking nat 20! Yes! Okay, so it is, oh my god, 1d4 plus 4. Let's see what homeboy rolls. It is a, oh shit, it's a 4 plus 4 times 2 because of the nat 20. That is 16 points of damage to Magic Brian. Yeah, it is. Holy shit, that's so good. Okay, so now it cuts to Brian, who just like, pulls the dagger out of his shoulder but slowly so it looks ominous and he's like well okay i see how it is and then he casts three magic missiles in a row at garen no all right one d4 plus one times three because all three of them are coming for him and that is a one yes okay so that's still six points of damage Mm. told gararino Thank God. And, uh, oh shit, I forgot how much health I gave Garen. I have a, a bitchin' amount of health. Yes, and I believe you've taken no damage, so... Oh, I've taken four damage, thank you very oh, much. okay! Alright, so now it's back to you after Magic Brian just got daggered in the face and then shot your boyfriend three times. Okay, I think I want to, uh... Shoot, uh, some crossbows his way. Oh, okay. So despite the whole wand thing, you're like, fuck magic, I'm shooting this guy. Yeah, I, it, it's not getting the, the job done, so. Alright, so that is a ranged D8 plus 2 damage, I believe. So roll to see if you can beat his AC. Uh, pray to pan. Uh, I got an 11. Oh, well, Brian's AC is 11, so... Dang! But it goes to you, though. The attacker always wins. Oh! So... (laughs) D8... Plus two. That's my D8. Okay. (laughs) I sound sound like Clint right now. (laughs) 
I got a five. So, uh, plus two. All right, so that's seven points to Magic Brian, and then Garen, who's been doing good with the daggers, uh, just decides to whip out his other dagger and fling it at Magic Brian. You two are just winging shit at this cat from, like, 15 yards away. And he rolls a 13, so it definitely beats. And the damage is... Eight. (laughs) So, at this point, now, Magic Brian, I think what happened is he got the arrow in one shoulder, and then the dagger in the other shoulder. He falls backwards on the ground in pain, and he looks up, and he's just like, Well, it may not have been a long run, but it was a good run. Uh, I just, I have so many regrets, you know? It's just, you know, this whole black spider thing. It was never really me. I mean... I was never really into spiders. I was more into something else. And with that, you see as his entire body turns back into that black, almost rainbow-like darkness that the hunger is made out of, and it slowly morphs and changes as it floats into the sky. Then you see two massive black wings sprout from its sides as from its back a large stinger shoots out and it roars to the sky because you may have saved against it last time but Brenna you're fighting a wyvern oh no Scotty (laughs) that was the best thing I've ever done and you're gonna make me go back and undo it And so the wyvern uh, sails into the sky, silhouettes itself against the sun. It would actually look pretty dope if it wasn't about to murder you. And he goes, that's it. This is over. Also, I apparently still have this voice because (laughs) I don't know. And then he rushes towards Garen to do a multi-attack that he rolls a... Oh, that's a that's a sixteen. No. So he starts with his claws and just grabs Garen by the shoulders and digs his claws into him as he tackles him to the ground and he takes. Oh no! Oh, I forgot mm-hmm. how powerful he is. I'm sorry. You're not. So he takes two d8 plus four, and that's six, six all together, sixteen points. And so he's now got Garrett knocked to the ground, and then he digs his stinger into his neck. And so then he... All right, and from the stinger, he takes six, six, another 16 points of damage. So that's now 32 points overall, and he has to make a constitution saving throw or else he's poisoned. Good God. Uh, yeah, the wyvern's a little bit OP, I've realized. So, uh, let's see, does Garen succeed? Yeah, no, he doesn't. And oh my God. You are trying to kill me. He takes seven D6 damage. No. So that is four, two, three, six. Oh, okay, so so here's what happens. I don't need to keep rolling. You see the stinger enter his body, 
and you watch as the veins in Garen's face slowly begin to turn black and his eyes turn this ominous black as his body is frozen in place and he has been effectively poisoned and taken out of the battle as the wyvern flies back into the sky after claiming its first victim. Well... So you rush towards Garen, his body nearly lifeless on the ground being taken by the poison, and you try your best to aid him, but before you can, you are taken off of your feet by the tail of the wyvern that whips you and sends you to your knees. It then claws against your back, forcing you to stare up at your assailant, who then takes his stinger and, much like he just did to Garen, sinks it into your neck, Sydney, And you feel this horrible horrifying burning sensation as it enters through your veins. Every ounce of your body seems to be on fire as this bright white light begins to fill your eyes. But then suddenly you feel something changing within you, something morphing. And that's why I'm going to need you to roll a D8. Um, okay... That's a seven. Yes! Oh my god, yes, this is the best possible outcome! <laughs> so, Sydney, what happens is you feel your body suddenly begin to change and morph in ways that you never truly thought were possible. You'd never felt something like this, save for one time. About a year or so ago, when you were in a classroom here in Fandolin, attempting to learn true polymorph and on that day you failed but on this day sydney you feel the true power of polymorph as you feel your entire skull begin to elongate your body growing and stretching up to the heavens your arms shrinking into your sides as a massive tail sprouts from your end And if you look in our chat, I've sent you a character sheet because you're going to need to know what to do. Oh, no. As a fucking Tyrannosaurus Rex. I knew it. I knew it. I had like a list of eight different guys, eight different possibilities, and I just threw T-Rex on there like, ah, there's no way it'll happen. And then it did. Oh, my God. Okay, so now it's essentially Godzilla versus Mothra as you stand up and face off against this massive wyvern. It's Battle of Beast versus Beast, and also you can kind of hear the battles nearby taking place around Phandalin, and you hear one voice call out, Oh, fuck yeah, Dupree! <laughs> Hell yeah, baby! And, uh, Sydney, you kind of just stare around in awe as you have finally learned to embrace your true power. Wow, okay. Um, so can, am I, are we going? Oh, yeah, yeah, you can, you can go okay. now. Do, do an attack. Uh, I would love, oh wait, no, I can't. I would love to bite the ever-loving shit out <laughs> okay. of this dragon, preferably... And the dick. <laughs> Preferably on one of the wings, so they can't fly anymore. That'd be great. All right, wise move, Sydney. Uh, roll to bite, I guess. Okay, what do I even... I guess my... Okay. Do I roll my d20? I suppose. 
Yeah, you would roll your d20 plus your modifier, which is, oh my god, it's plus 7. Okay, so 13 plus 7 is 20. Yeah, yeah, that, that counts, buddy. You got him. Awesome. So, uh, hit, wait. I do not understand this. Look, so, you just roll four D12s and fuck this wing up so good. Damn. Oh, okay. I got that. Okay, so four of these, that's uh, math. Okay, so first one's a two. Not great. Four. Six. Nine. Fifteen. And twelve. Jesus Christ. Twenty-seven. All right. Oh, and then plus seven, uh-huh. so thirty-four. Yeah. Okay, so... Fuck me, this battle's gonna go faster than I thought. Hell yeah. Um, so I like to think you're kinda just <laughs> you're kinda just held on to the wing, munching on it like a delicious <laughs> chicken bone. And uh, so I think the Wyvern would only find it fair to res- to return serve by going back to what worked earlier, and he just jabs you in the neck with his stinger. Great. I mean, the last time he tried to poison you, he, he you did turn into a T-Rex, so I'm not really sure if this is the best plan. Not smart, but you can do what you want, I guess. So, that's a 13 plus 4, that's a 17, which just uh. beats your AC! All right, so that's 2d6 plus 4, so that's a 1, 6, that'd be 11 points of damage. Yeah, all right. Oh, but one more second, I'm not done yet. And then you feel as he starts trying to pump the poison into your veins. Great, okay. Which is why I'm now going to need you to make a constitution saving roll. That'll be a 19, my dude. Oh, that passes! Okay, so here's what I think happens. I think the T-Rex lets go from biting the wing and then just kind of like flexes his muscles so hard (laughs) that it shoots the stinger out of his neck. He's just, like, crying to the heavens, like, no! Uh, but you will still take half as much damage of 7d6s, which I'm too lazy to do right now, so I'm just going to call it, like, 12. Sure. All right, and now it's back to you, and the wyvern, <laughs> I guess he's, like, try- whatever, like, the flying version of limping is, that's what he's doing, is he's trying to get away. Just like, you know, you kind of suck. Um, let's try... Another bite to the other wing. Oh no, why would you do this to me? This is sadistic. I want some yum yum dragon wings, okay? <laughs> With some yum yum buffalo sauce. <laughs> Someone hand me my garlic parmesan. <laughs> is that like your badass final blow line before you kill him? No shit, no. Get me my garlic <laughs> parmesan. I'm about to chow down on these bone-in dragon wings. Alright, roll to uh, see if you dig in once again. I uh, got a 15 this time. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that hits. Okay, so uh, back to that D12, uh, I suppose. Uh, four of them. Okay. So, nine. Alright. A uh, two. That'd be eleven. And a ten. Twenty-one. Another ten. Thirty-one fucking points. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, plus seven. Oh, good. Plus seven, so thirty-eight. <laughs> Great. Okay, so now the wyvern's like. 
pissed. He's just like, fuck you! And he tries, like, rushing you, but since both of his wings are clipped, he's kind of just running on his hind legs at you. (laughs) And he goes for a multi-attack, which he rolls a 15 against your AC, which I believe beats. It does. Alright, and so he starts off with a bite, because he's just like, you've bitten me so many times, it's my turn. Now... And he gets 2d6 plus 2, so that is a 6, a 2, so 12. And now he's going to play with his favorite toy, his stinger. That fucking stinger. Let's see, 4, 5, plus 4, so that's 13 points of damage from the stinger. And if you could make another constitution saving roll for me. 15. Jesus Christ, bro! <laughs> Okay, so this time I like to think that it's not even, like, hitting you. It's not injecting into you. It just grazes your side and then you tail whip him away. Like, bitch, what you doing? Get away from me. All right, Brenna. You got all your powers. You got all your abilities. And you've got a giant wyvern with two crippled wings in front of you. What are you doing? I think I just, I want to bitch slap him with my tail. (laughs) That's what I want to (laughs) do. What do we do on that? Uh, that's 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 a ten. Yeah, but you do get seven added. Oh, yeah. So that that hit seventeen does hit. Awesome. So now you get to roll three d eight and add seven. Cool. So so five. All right. One. Six. Cool. And six. Twelve. Plus seven. Nineteen. Okay. Okay. Here's what happened. Okay. So I, I like to think you, when you slapped him with the tail last time after the stinger, he kind of fell and now is just furious. And you watch as the darkness, the hunger fills in the spots in the wings that you had bitten out. And it soars up into the skies and then rushes you with all of its force. Its stinger held out fury in its eyes. And then you just turn around and bitch slap it out of the sky. Yeah. He flies off into the sunset, and as he does, you just hear, Looks like Team Rocket's blasting away! (laughs) And Brenna, you have solved my wyvern puzzle! Again! So, as you uh, return back to Earth after defeating Magic Brian, uh, as you return to your human form, you are no longer a giant T-Rex. You look over and you see Garen, and you see those black veins on his face slowly receding, and the color begins to come back to him as he sits up and looks around really confused. And then he looks over and he sees you, and he goes, Did we win? And before you can answer, you look down and you see this bright white light in your chest. And you look over, and you see one in Garen, and as you look out across the battlefield, all of the fighters seem to have this white light coming out of their bodies as it slowly turns into a thread. A thread that flies up into the air. You see your and Garen's intermingling, flying into the skies, and then you see all of the threads, all of them Coming together in that one beautiful moment, all of you together coming across to fight the hunger, the threads breaking apart the tendrils and sending them flying back to the earth. And that's when you realize that this was never about you. This was never about your parents. This wasn't about Taco or Merle or Magnus. This was about all of us, Sydney. 
all of us came together in that moment with our bonds to destroy the hunger because that's all we can truly do to fight that hunger is to come together. You see the white threads of all of humanity weaving a beautiful tapestry across the skies, fighting back against the hunger and saving the world. More and more threads tied to yours, threads that you never thought you had until the sky is this beautiful, blinding white light that fights away the hunger. And Sydney, you smile because you did it. You and the rest of society awaken a few moments later to discover, well, nothing. No hunger, no chaos, no battles. It's safe. You slowly make your way back to your feet as you feel a massive force tackle you over and you look up to see Garen giving you this massive hug followed by the rest of the resistance members giving you quick embraces. Hey, good work, little mama! A voice calls from behind and you turn to see Taco standing there with a massive smile on his face flanked by the lich that you know to be his sister, Loop. Look, if I could give you a little advice on the whole polymorph thing, though... You gotta give it a name. Think like Dupree. You know, you gotta think about the branding, honey. Come on. Don't bother her, Taco. She's been through enough. Magnus comments as well as he gives you a small hug. You did good, kid. Hey, Merle, don't you think you should... Oh, yeah, good point. And with that, the cleric known as Merle Highchurch puts a hand against your body, and suddenly all of the damage done to you during the battle was gone. But... You still had no home. The tavern was destroyed. Fandolin had returned to being a pile of black glass. You were unsure of what your future was. Hi there, little gerblin! You sure did a great job out there! The new mayor of refuge, Cassidy, comments as she runs up to you. You want a job being sheriff? I'll pay you in root beer barrels! Oh my god! That would be amazing. Well, hell yeah, little gerblin! I'll see you in a few! And with that, Cassidy runs off into the crowd that's begin to grow around you and Trace Horny Boys. And then you look up to see a massive, dark spectral form floating up besides Taco. He was surprisingly handsome. Hey, dear, do you mind picking up some... Oh, no. And Kravitz looks your way, pulling out his scythe and morphing into what you find to be a much less handsome version of his skeletal form. Uh, well, looks like I got one more job to take care of. Uh, I don't know. Um, what? Oh, no, 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 I'm not here for you, love. Oh. And with that, you turn around to see your parents floating there in beautifully resplendent spectral forms. As Kravitz comments, I'm here for them. Holy shit. So, I guess we owe you an explanation. Um, I'm pretty sure that I... I've heard it all. <laughs> Look, death is scary, Sydney. It's the unknown for a reason. It could be infinite torture, or eternal life, or just... Just nothingness. Your mother and I... We weren't prepared to deal with that. We weren't prepared to leave each other, so... When we saw Loop and Barry become liches, we honestly thought it'd be a pretty sweet gig. Oh, so this is your fault then? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I didn't expect Chippendale Rescue Rangers over here to be on the <laughs> fucking ship. 
Look, we're just saying we did this out of fear. We were terrified of what awaited us on the other side, so... So we hid from it. But then we got a reason besides fear. You. We had to stick around after we were gone. We had to make sure that you were safe, but... Sydney, after seeing everything you've done, everything you've accomplished, I mean... You saved the world. <laughs> Sydney, that was enough to show us that... It's okay for us to go. <laughs> because... Clearly, you don't need our help. You're already more powerful than your father and I ever were, so... Just know... We'll always love you. And you... You're going to be amazing. And with that, your father and your mother take each other's hands, and they follow Kravitz to the astral plane. Your mom, before she crosses over, looks back, and she blows you a small kiss as she travels across, and you look down sniffling when you suddenly feel a small tug at your sleeve. You look over to see Angus MacDonald staring at you with what looked to be apologetic eyes. Hello, ma'am. I'm... I'm sorry I never got to get back to you on any of my research. I... I guess my research actually took me over for a while there. The, the, the little detective I just want to hug him uh, okay so you immediately embrace Angus and he's just kind of like okay <laughs> so does that mean everything's alright it, it does we're good yeah it doesn't matter now and then Angus slowly kind of realizes what's happening he looks up and he sees the bright blue sky with not a shred of darkness within it he sees the people cheering around him and he says Wait, is it all over? Did we win? And you look out as that crowd surrounds you, and Taco, and Magnus, and Merle, and they begin cheering, Sydney, and you cheer alongside them as Taco smirks while Magnus hoists Angus up onto his shoulder. Believe it or not, little man, we did. Let him know, kid. Hey, everybody! Oh. Johan was right! We won! Sydney Rosenthorne, you're one of the lucky ones. You're one of the very few that get to have their stories told to the world. Like Magnus, like Taco, like Merle. Whether you go on to become a sheriff or go on extreme teen adventures, attend Taco School of Magic, or even just go on to train dogs with Magnus, never forget how lucky you are. Never forget to make your story one that the world needs to hear. Because everyone has stories, and everyone is the main character in their own story, and 
Well, it's our job to seek those stories out and spread them to the world. Thank you for giving me a story worth telling. And with that, Sydney looks up to the heavens to see the two void fish, Junior and Fisher, flying off into the heavens, off to find another story or another song worth spreading to the world. And Sydney knows that in that infinite storage system, in that infinite galaxy within their bulbs, between the stories about wizards having trouble in school and the story about the time traveling dream demon, Sydney knows that her story is there too. And she knows that her story matters. And Sydney smiles. And this has been Fun Fiction, the story of two idiots who wrote fan fiction so hard they made each other cry. Oh, shit. That was really good. Oh, I'm gonna miss Sydney so hard. I'm gonna miss her too. I I am really happy that she got to basically become Taco at one point. I know, fuck. Like, what are the odds? So, Brenna, we did it. We did do it. And my face is wet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, mine is too, but I think that's more from studio lights. Um, while yours is probably just from sheer tears. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's not sweat at all. (laughs) Yeah, but until next time, Breno, where can people find you on the internet? Well, you can find me, um, on Twitter where I'm usually also crying at, uh... (laughs) Brennosaur, that's B-R-E-N-N-A-S-A-U-R. Much like, you know, the T-Rex I played today. I am a dinosaur. Oh my god, that's your T-Rex name! It's- it is! It's Brennosaur! Yes, the Brennosaurus Rex! Love it. And you can find me on Twitter at Scotty Mo. That's S-E-O-T-T-Y-E-M-O. You can buy all my books on Amazon. If you enjoy the whole D&D thing, check out my book series, Quizzle Corp, yes. which is essentially just a big D&D campaign that was put in a book. Which may explain why the first one seems kind of all over the place. It's because they had some really weird roles. So check that out. Check out all the other shows online at a load of pure BS.com, ladies and gentlemen. And of course, remember to support the show, whether that be by donating to our Patreon, picking up merch, or most importantly, just by leaving us a review on iTunes. Or if you're on watching us on YouTube, subscribe to the channel, send us a fan fiction you'd like to have read on the show at a load of pure BS at gmail.com. Come, ladies and gentlemen, and of course, thank you for all your support, and to Griffin, Travis, Clint, and Justin, thank you for making the Adventure Zone just the most buckwild, amazing thing in my and Brenna's life. But until next time, Miss Brenna, stay away from baby Hitler, my dudes. Stay away from the baby T-Rex. Aww. Oh, a little little T-Rex, though. It's just a little baby T-Rex. <laughs> With a mustache. <laughs>